I can't take any of this seriously unless I know who I'm talking to. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. TGIF, everybody. I'm Gary Mans. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. And together we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Going to talk some Hollywood with a very special lady, Ruta Lee, today. But first, let's say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you today, sir? Hollywood. It's Hollywood. I don't know the rest of it. That's the best I can come up with. Keep your day job. I knew it. And he does by doing yeah. such a good job of it. Yeah, so thank you. Uh, life is good. Life is good. We are going to be talking about Hollywood history, history that is still celebrated today. I love it when you have that long timeline to look at. Yes. And we are bringing on one of Hollywood's most glamorous women of stage, screen, and television. No exaggeration there. Not at all. I'd like you to give her a little bit of an introduction and let's bring the lady on. Why don't we do that? Lots of good talk today. Glittery talk and lots of fun. Today we meet Ruta Lee, whose filmography and TV credits trace a glamorous timeline of film and TV culture in the middle decades of the 20th century and still is celebrated in the 21st. Ruta Lee, in a sense, is essential Hollywood. From classic to contemporary, she has made her elegant mark. Ms. Lee has published her memoirs entitled Consider Your Ass Kissed. That's right. The book is a treasure trove of wonderful stories and anecdotes with rare, firsthand, authentic memories of the entertainment industry. And a little bit later, I believe that R uh, Ruta Lee has struck a deal for audience members who want an autographed book. We'll get into that when we do our marketing piece at the bottom of the hour, Suzanne. But for the moment, let us welcome the star of stage, screen, television, Ruta Lee. Ruta, how are you today? My darlings, that was such a beautiful introduction. Would you mind doing my eulogy when the time comes? Uh, <laughs> anybody but Jessel, right? <laughs> Do you know that wonderful story about Jessel? I know it, and I'd love it if you would share it. At the end of his kind of career, he wasn't making money on stage or on screen. And so he sort of made a living of being the speaker or the eulogizer at a lot of different funerals around the country. And as he approached this uh, one thing where he was sent, let's say it was Des Moines, Iowa or something, and of course he didn't know the person. They handed him the papers with all the, the uh, information about who and what and so on and so forth. And he was in a shul, in a temple, and he said in his usual kind of way, and uh, uh, Aaron Glickstein was a great man, a great father, a great husband, a wonderful contributor to the church. He put more trees into Israel than anybody alive. What a fine man. <laughs> well, that knocked my socks off when I heard it originally, and I thought, how fabulous to share that with everybody. And this is why we talk Hollywood history, because it's it's this wonderful culture that has a life of its own. And it's easy to go back if there are people, especially someone like yourself, from somebody who is still alive to tell the story the right way and the accurate way with so many names that you have an endless checklist of Hollywood luminaries whom you called not only collaborators and co-stars, but also friends. You know, that is such a beautiful thing to live with that I I did make a lot of friends in the industry and I when I really stop and think about it uh, there are very few people that I even disliked you know uh, I, I can m maybe name one <laughs> but that's about it and uh, and uh, hopefully they felt the same way about me and where it showed was that I have been raising funds for at least 60 years for the Thalians, which basically is Hollywood for mental health, uh, which in some ways is the most needy group also. But uh, we have worried about the mental health of young people, old people, all people in the world. And people have been so good uh, in giving me money for 
my my charity and and helping raise funds millions and millions and millions of dollars have gone into cedar sinai and now that the veterans were worried about the the young beautiful people that give their lives up or put their lives on the line for us everywhere in the world that we send them and then somehow they come back and they don't get the the best that america has to offer sometimes they fall through the cracks especially when it comes to mental health so when i was uh, reading I, about I the so aliens that I... ever gives us money and and uh, and so that's where the title of my book came from uh, in in sincere and loving gratitude for anything good that anybody has ever done for me i say consider your ass kissed I see. And you know what? I, I hazarded a guess, Ruta, that you used that title. Turns out there's a, a much richer motivation for using it. I said to Suzanne this morning, I'll bet she chose that title because she played so many wholesome roles, I would say 90% of the time anyway, that she did that just to be defiant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that idea. Basically, it, it's an expression that I have used forever on stage and off, uh, especially on stage when I'm thanking somebody for, for $5, $50, $500,000, whatever it may be. Um, you know, what, what else can I say but reach down into my soul and my heart and say thank you? And, and so I mean it for anybody that picks up a copy of my book and, and uh, thinks to, to read through it and enjoy it, I hope. Well, everybody consider your ass kissed. Please tell us a little bit. We want to get into your film and TV career for sure. So many wonderful uh, turns on stage, in film, and on TV, of course, going decades and still admired so much today. I did want to, because I'm a pet lover, cat lover, dog lover, I've had pet guinea pigs and rats in my life. Actual fancy rats that were otherwise destined for the belly of a snake used as feeders, and I didn't care for that idea very much. Oh. There. So I love animals, and clearly so do you. You work very hard for animal welfare causes. Yes, I do. I, 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 I love all animals. Um, I'm, not, I'm fearless when it comes to animals, which is probably foolish of me. Uh, the only thing I'm terrified of is snakes. Uh, snakes and dentists, and I'm not sure <laughs> in which order. But, but I, do, I do love my dogs. I have four dogs. Um, one of them is totally blind, the other is deaf and blind, but, you know, they're still wonderful animals, and they're dependent on me and uh, my, my housekeeper to help out, and two little itsy-pitsies that are just wonderful, and I have three cats and a large, beautiful, white, golden-crested cockatoo that is a very large pain in the place that I suggest we get kiss. Uh, at times, but but still a marvelous creature. All all God's children, whether they be four-legged or or two-legged, are are great things. And I think it's up to us as um, the stewards of all of these good things. Take good care of them. You know, if we take things out of the wild and domesticate them, then it's up to us to take bloody good care of them. And um, I, I get very distressed with people who uh, are not good to their animals. I was I wondering how you are with horses, because I noticed that you were in a lot of westerns. Did you do a lot of riding? Oh, boy, did I do a lot of riding. And, of course, I'm small. You know, I'm all 5'3", and horses are usually very big. And to even get up on a horse was a, a, a difficult thing for me. So I am eternally grateful to the cowboys and the wranglers on all of our Hollywood movie sets, the Western sets. I learned a great deal from them, Suzanne. I, I learned how to get on a horse without looking like an idiot, you know, because usually the stirrup was up where my knees, where my chin was. So that was always difficult. Um, and they taught me how to do that fairly gracefully. They also taught me a great deal about taking care of animals, uh, horses, cows, calves, goats, sheep, whatever. And they also taught me a great deal about how to handle, respect, and not screw around with guns. You know, because we all 
learned how to handle and shoot and everything uh, on westerns, and so I'm I'm beholden to those guys. I used to like to sit around with them on the set. You know, there's a lot of waiting on a movie set, whether you're on location or you're indoors. Uh, you you do the rehearsal and then you sit down and you wait until they set up everything, light it and and do everything, and. I sat with the guys, and I learned a lot from them, and I, I really respect the the gentleman who took the time uh, with a newbie to teach me a lot of stuff I didn't know about anything when it came to Westerns. When Gary and I were looking at your filmography, and we were amazed, uh, and I will go into the others, but right now I'm just talking Westerns, you, you were with so many famous actors who in Westerns, like uh, a Clint Eastwood and um, James Garner, James Garner, quite a, quite a few people. James and uh, I, I can't ask you which is your favorite because there were too many, <laughs> but I can ask you, were there some that were better on a horse than others? Oh, well, they were all better on a horse than I was. That's for sure. Uh, and I think, I mean, Jimmy Carner was not a Western star, and, and then he became one, and he obviously learned to ride beautifully. All the guys did. Uh, of course, I've got to tell you that the Wranglers always had marvelous, gentle horses that knew what idiots these actors were that were getting up on them. I swear the horses were more intelligent than we were. But... Uh, I, I can't remember any any one of the, the stars that wasn't great on a horse. Um, Hugh O'Brien, if you will remember, by the way, he was the first president of the Thalians that I hope we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, sure. my charity. He, um, he was our first president, and he was a wonderful Western star. And uh, boy, did I don't know where they all learned to ride. It never occurred to me to ask them. But I know that I learned uh, on the job. I think I rode a horse a couple of times before I started doing westerns. Uh, I was never a very good rider, but I assumed that the horse knew how to get back to the barn, you know, as soon as you took him out. And I depended on that. But, uh, gosh, that, that's an interesting question. Who was a better rider? I have no idea, but I just know Jim Arness, who was Gunsmoke, uh, was marvelous, but he was a big man. Hey, did you people know that Jim Arness was that monster that was a, a carrot, as best I can say, a, a, a living, uh, walking vegetable in that fabulous sci-fi movie, The Thing? Did you? Know oh, that? yes, the original. Oh, did. oh, hell, I thought I was giving you some news. <laughs> <laughs> we enjoy our classics, Ruta. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got you. Okay. I love that movie, and I just love the fact that he was the big monster. And not everybody knows that Peter Graves was his brother. Yes, yes, absolutely. Handsome there, Peter and, Graves. Uh, and it was Peter Graves. There, just as a little sidebar here, uh, I enjoyed Mission Impossible all the time, a show that didn't overly rely on dialogue. There was a lot of intricate action going on to move the plot along rather than snappy dialogue. I always found that fascinating. And Peter Graves added that that wonderful salt and pepper hair of his and that visage that looked like he was a man of authority when he took over the uh, the leadership role of that team. Boy, did you pin him down beautifully. You're right about that beautiful hair of his. Uh, I married a man that looked a lot like him, Webb Lowe. Uh, was a cross between Clint Eastwood and Peter Graves. Not all bad, I'd say. <laughs> For sure. No, very good. I did want to get this story in, Rudy, just because it's one of my earliest memories. I must have been five years old, not quite six, when uh, growing up in Southern California, I lived in Orange County, and my mom and dad decided that we would make a little field trip one Sunday afternoon, I believe it was. It was certainly the weekend. And we drove out to the famous Hollywood film ranch, Corriganville. Oh, and yes. There I am standing in Corriganville, looking at these sets, all these old Western buildings, and just taking it all in. And who's standing by watching us take pictures? My dad was taking pictures of my mom and me. But Nick Adams of The Rebel. 
they were they were filming it. Yeah. And he came over. He was so kind. And I don't think we, I don't know why exactly, unless we lost it, but I don't recall him taking a picture so much with me as shaking hands with me and saying hello. And he chatted a bit with my dad. And I've always had a soft spot for Nick Adams, who died way too young, but left his mark on Hollywood history. And Gary, I don't remember. What did he die of? It seems to me it was on a mobile accident, if I recall. I, I think it was somewhere in the South. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, oh. well, you know, things happen, terrible accidents. One of the the darling ladies that was early on in uh, the Thalians uh, was Jane Mansfield. Um, Oh, yes. When when the Thalians first decided this young group of, of Hollywood performers and people in allied fields like agents and managers and uh, lawyers, you know, that sort of thing, uh, decided that they were tired of being called pot-smoking, hard-drinking, sex-minded idiots that had nothing to contribute. And they said, let's get together. And uh, we we uh, get together anyway to have drinks and sing around the piano. Let's put a show together and uh, sell a few tickets and raise a few dollars for a charity. And they sent out darling Jane Mansfield and Mamie Van Doren. Now, you want to talk about bra sizes? Holy <laughs> Between the two of them, they that, that, that must have been an ADD there, you know. But uh, we sent them out to shop around for a charity. And they came back to the next Thalian meeting and said, well, all the good diseases have been taken, which really made everybody laugh. And they said, um, but they found a doctor that was dealing with emotionally disturbed children and he described an emotionally disturbed child as a rotting apple in a barrel and it'll infect the whole barrel or the community in this case if it's not taken care of and so that's how the Thalians was born and to think that that darling Jane Mansfield who was one of our first members and and in the group uh, were was killed so atrociously in an accident, and wow! Well, she left a beautiful and wonderful, and uh, and and she uh, you know lives forever in the minds of people. I suppose everywhere in the industry and out of the industry. Yes, and Jane Mansfield, by reputation, when people saw her on film, they saw someone playing dumb, very glamorously, a bombshell for sure, but playing dumb. My understanding is that she actually was mentally gifted and very musically talented. You know, I never got to know her well. I I was with her several times uh, at different events and whatnot, Um she was early on in the Thalians, and I came in about five years later after it, it had been organized. Um, but I, we we said hello uh, sort of across a crowded room, or we were sitting maybe together at some event somewhere. And she was the sweetest, loveliest girl. And, and Mickey Hargitay was this sweet, uh, very amenable a darling man that was willing to do anything to help you out. It was so sweet. I just remember one time some of our writers from the Thalians went over to Jane's house because she was going to be starring in our takeoff on La Dolce Vita. Well, Jane was perfect for it. And they all went over to her lovely house, and uh, they visited uh, in the backyard where she had that big heart-shaped pool and everything was pink. And there were these wonderful ruins that looked like an old aqueduct in a way, you know. And they were the the guys were wondering what it was. She wasn't out there with them, uh, and they thought, well, Beverly Hills was a way station for the Pony Express and all kinds of things. So maybe this is something that's left over on the grounds from way, way, way before Beverly Hills became the home of uh, the motion picture colony. And so finally, when she came out, they said, what, uh, what are those over there? What is that aqueduct-like thing? She said, well, they're ruins. And they said, yeah, we know they're ruins, but what are they ruins? She said, they're just ruins. And they said, well, well what do you mean ruins? What kind of ruins? She says, 
Well, I like the ruins that I saw in Italy, and so Mickey built me some ruins. And it was so dear because there was a child swing hanging from one of the arches that they were swinging from. And I thought, how totally adorable and how very honest of her, how very open, how sweet. But she said, I like the old things, the ruins, so he built me some. God, that was oh, that is a sweet story. Before we move on, Ruta, when I misspeak, I need to correct myself. Uh, even when the the uh, it's not exactly an improvement on my original story, but I don't know who I was talking about when referencing Nick Adams. The great Nick Adams passed away at age thirty six of unfortunately a drug overdose in Beverly oh, Hills. Dear, oh, and one re- dear. after his last film, one reviewer wrote. Plagued by personal excesses, he will be remembered just as much for what he could have done in cinema as what he left behind. That I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I got to meet this man. And uh, there you have it, this this oh, idea of mental health of drug. that up and, and, and correct your boo-boo. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that, that is so sad, but what a beautiful remark for the things he could have done as well as what he gave us. Wow. Does that not take us on, on this timeline to more recent times? We're talking in the same context about greats like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Heath Ledger. Oh, God. How sad. Careers that were so important and important to so many uh, older generation and younger generation and, and to, to leave us for stupid reasons. Oh, well. Oh well. So yes, life is, is life about, is tragedy you know? at least as much as comedy. That is for certain. Yes, yes. I'm checking in with Suzanne. Should we take a break now? Because we want to talk more Hollywood history with the wonderful Ruta Lee, and we absolutely want to talk about her book. But we also want to talk about the Thalians, which is an important endeavor in Hollywood for the sake of mental health. Let's do that when we come right back from our break. That sounds good. All right. We are talking with actress Ruta Lee. Uh, wonderful career, very long career, and a lot of great stories. So stay with us. You are listening to Manson Mitchell on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. We'll be right back. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. 
On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Ruta Lee, star of stage, screen, and television, to talk about her long and varied career. On Saturday, Adam Sheck, the passion doctor, returns with advice about dating, mating, and relating when the crisis is past. Bringing you mastery and mystery, one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. We are very honored today to have Ruta Lee with us. And in a minute, we might even ask her about her movie that was based in Seattle. Um, But in the meantime, I want to make sure we get out your website. And I also want to ask you a little bit more about the Thalians. Now, your website, as I understand it, is rudely.com. Is that correct? You got it. It's that simple. <laughs> All right. It's that simple. And that's the place to go to learn more about Rudely. And we want to talk a little bit more about the Thalians. I was reading about it. And when there was this talk of veterans, I thought it was specifically for veterans, but you're saying that's only the most recent group because this was started so many years ago for the benefit of young and old. Am I right about that? You're absolutely right. We we started uh, in 55. I joined in about 60. And why did I join? Because they were doing the most wonderful productions, takeoffs of movies, and, and the aforementioned Jane Mansfield starred in several of them. Um, and every star in Hollywood wanted to be part of this group, and whether they were in the chorus line or, or doing a comedy sketch or something. And uh, it was founded originally for the emotionally disturbed children, and then 18 years later, after raising umpteen million dollars, we built the first building that went in at the big Cedars-Sinai complex in Los Angeles, which is an amazing place, and our building, the Thalians Community Mental Health Center, now took care of people from pediatric through geriatric. And we dealt with treatment and research and care for all kinds of wonderful people. And um, then many years later, we discovered that there was this group that was being overlooked by us as Thalians and us as Americans, generally speaking. And, of course, I'm generalizing because people do get good care, but so many of our veterans wind up homeless on the streets, and it's usually because of a lack of care when it comes to mental health. And so we joined up. We turned our Klieg light, you know, a Hollywood spotlight that had been shining on this dark hole, this abyss that's called mental illness, the closet disease. Everybody always hid anybody in the family and their disease in the closet. Nobody wanted to talk about mental illness. And we Thalians, God bless us, kept shining a Hollywood spotlight on it. And we brought so many into the light of healing, thank you, God. You know, and and the nicest thing in the world is to have somebody run up to me in a restaurant or a theater or something and say, you have no idea, Ruta, what your care, yours and Debbie's, Debbie Reynolds' care and concern did for my kid or my son or my daughter or my mother or whatever. What a blessing that is. Anyway, we switched our allegiance to the plight of the returning veterans, those Gorgeous young people that are willing to put their lives on the line for us and yet somehow get forgotten when it comes to coming home and trying to resume their lives. So we joined up with Operation Mend at UCLA in the Ronald Reagan building, and they Operation Mend heals the broken and fractured bodies and bones of these returning veterans. And we Thalians try to heal the broken and fractured mind and spirit. And so I'm so grateful to all beautiful people that will consider thinking of us, the Thalians, T-H-A-L-I-A-N-S dot org. 
uh, to get information on us and what we do and how our money is spent. Uh, anybody that has five dollars to send or fifty, or as I say, five hundred thousand, it'll all go to taking care of our beautiful, mentally and emotionally disturbed young people that come home from wars to America and somehow fall through the cracks. So I appreciate any bit of help anybody can give us. And I say, please, in advance, consider your ass kissed. There you go. Thank you. Very good. Thalians.org, T-H-A-L-I-A-N-S, Thalians.org. Check it out, and it may be something that you want to support as well as Rudely. Thank you, thank you, thank you, my darling Suzanne. Ruta, let's go back to some Hollywood memories now. I'm just going to throw this question out at you. Answer it as you will. We've heard so much in recent years, and it's about time, and deservedly so, there is the Me Too movement. Regardless of what someone might say about how all of that plays out, the underlying problems are real. People aren't making stuff up here. And in Hollywood, there is quite appropriately, and I don't mean any pun at all, there's a spotlight put on this this problem, which pervades our society in any case. During your Hollywood career, and certainly you don't need to mention any names, did you fall victim to unwanted advances? I'm sorry to say, no. No, (laughs) come on. You're a bombshell of the screen. What do you mean, no? Impossible. Now, maybe it's because I did not have the bra size of a Jane Mansfield or a Mamie <laughs> Van Doren. Because uh, somehow we always associate, associate great big bazooms with sexy, you know. And yet I, pla- I played a lot of sexy dames, you know. Thank God uh, that I did get uh, cast every once in a while that way. It wasn't always the goody two-shoes, and, and the little tramps are much more fun to play, you know. But well, now this is uh, interesting. I got to tell you that I never ever got chased around a, a, a desk or propositioned. If I did, maybe I was too stupid and didn't recognize it. I don't know. But I found all through my career and all through my life that one of my greatest assets that God gave me a great gift is a wild outrageous sense of humor. And I think that in most cases, I was able to laugh any kind of advance off before it became a real advance with humor. And I found that I could sit around with the boys and go out for a beer after the the shooting day was over and hang out with the guys and and tell swap stories with them, sometimes quite bawdy, and didn't worry about, nobody worried about language they used in front of me because I had a great sense of humor. And maybe that's what saw me through it. Now, on the other hand, maybe I just wasn't cute enough or pretty enough or sexy enough, but I prefer to think that it was my wild sense of humor that the guys liked and liked better than, than um, any, anything that went on between the sheets. Maybe it was that, but looks would not be the issue, I must no, say. <laughs> you're a very glamorous, glamorous well, Hollywood thank you. actress. You're very kind to say that. By the way, I love your name. You sound like a law firm. Manson Mitchell. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it does. Doesn't it sound like that's who you go to if you want a real snappy divorce? <laughs> that's right. We'll meet you in Reno. <laughs> oh. Oh, my goodness. I I think of so many wonderful projects you were involved in, the stage, film, TV. Let me tell you, Ruta, that, and I saw this first at holiday time years and years ago, and I fell in love with it. And every time I see that it's going to be on, I pray that I can make time to sit through and watch it from beginning to end. The movie, when I'm asked, what are your favorite feel-good movies? I mean, the ones that just, they sort of inspire you. They're heartwarming. Without fail, I always mention Marjorie Morningstar from 1958. You were part of the cast. And I have to ask you, now that's long enough ago, and a lot of those folks were uh, young and a lot of them were more mature. Made in 1958. Today, are you the sole surviving cast member from Marjorie Morningstar? You know, I don't remember who all was in the cast, but of the principals, yes, I am, because 
they all became friends. Uh, I take delight, uh, and in fact, I write about it in saying that um, I slept in the same bed with Gene Kelly because I did in Marjorie Morningstar. I was the little tramp that uh, was having a, a little liaison with him. And then Gene used to rent my little house in Palm Springs on occasion. And so, therefore, I can say, well, he slept in my bed. And I take great <laughs> delight in sharing that news with the world. Um, and, of course, darling uh, Natalie was not a, a joined-at-the-hip friend, but certainly a longtime friend. And Carolyn Jones was a very good friend. And so I, I sort of think and say, wow. Uh, thank God I'm still here, and I plan on being here a few more years. You know, the Bible promises us 120, and I want every friggin' one of those years, and I want it in good good health and uh, with my brain still intact. Um, yes, absolutely. For all of us, you have spoken the word, Ruta. I did want to ask you, um, and this is just, I'd love to get your opinion about this because I've talked to people about film and TV stars over the years. And one of the names that comes up every now and again is Carolyn Jones. Of course, we remember and love her for her role as Morticia Adams. But there are people, and I think I'm one of them, who wonder, we scratch our heads and wonder why she wasn't a bigger star than she was. You know, I could ask the same question of myself. I never reached anything that resembled superstardom, in, in spite of the fact that I did some pretty good work here and there. But, you yeah. know, it, luck has a great deal to do with where you are and when the right part comes along and if you're offered it, you know. Carolyn did some fabulous work. And very few people know that Carolyn was not a brunette. She was almost white blonde, naturally. Oh. And uh, and she was married uh, years ago to the incredibly gifted Aaron Spelling. Oh. And Aaron Spelling was an actor, and she was an actress, and they were both from Texas. And, uh, you know, they married and uh, were, were, I suppose, happy for a long time. Um, and when they divorced, and now she became a brunette, because I don't know who decided that that blonde hair wasn't for her, and she was far more impressive as a, as a brunette. And I know that, uh, in fact, I write about this in the, in the book, um, that they used to stay, uh, Jimmy Comack, who became a very important producer, was an actor, uh, and introduced You Gotta Have Heart on Broadway from Damn Yankees, uh, and, and came out as a stand-up comic and an actor, and then wound up producing wonderful shows for uh, MGM. Anyway, they had a house here, and Jimmy Comack and his wife used to come out and stay with Aaron and, and Carolyn uh, at their house in the valley. And they were both, Carolyn and both Aaron, were rail thin. I mean, they were as skinny as two human beings could possibly be. And I always loved... Jimmy's expression. He said, when those two are intimate and having an affair, it sounds like two skeletons on the roof banging. And I just <laughs> got so hysterical with that picture. <laughs> but uh, I, I, well, I used to spend a lot of time on the weekends in Palm Springs. They had a house in Palm Springs around the corner from me. And uh, I, uh, you know, we'd go over and we'd we'd spend the weekends together, and and uh, God, it was a wonderful time. And it broke my heart when they divorced. But I was, of course, very happy that Aaron went on to become a huge uh, changer of everything in the business. You know, I mean, he, he yes. was the style setter for for a whole several generations to come. Yes. I, I noticed in your biography that you went to Hollywood High, and one of my curiosities was you were talking about, you know, luck or, or whatever that gets you into the business. Did you strategize getting into films, or was that a matter of luck? And, and was Seven Brides for Seven Brothers your first movie? 
uh, Yes, Seven Brides was my first movie, um, and I don't know whether it was my dancing abilities during the audition or my mother and her prayers on her knees in the church across the street from the casting department at MGM. One of the two, or maybe both, got me Seven Brides, and I'm I'm grateful to the dance lessons that my mother gave me when I was three and four years old, and also the fact that she wasn't afraid to get on her knees and pray for something. That helped, too. But Seven Brides was my first. Luck has so much to do with everything. I did not strategize on becoming an actress. I just knew I was one. I was grateful to my mother for giving me lessons um, and, and working very hard to pay for them. Both my mom and dad worked very, very hard for everything that they ever had, and they taught me a, a great lesson in, in a work ethic uh, that has never left me. And uh, I, I believe that if you're doing anything, do it fully and with to the best of your ability and, and to the every piece of your heart, you know, has to go into it. But luck had a great deal to do with it. I, I was uh, working in a little theater to just kind of get working all the way through high school. So it's a wonder I made it out of high school, frankly, because I was uh, working in a theater at night uh, dancing, then there'll be rehearsals sometime after the show or before the show. So basically, all I did was go to school and go to the theater, go to school, go to the theater. And but it was because I was working in that little theater that I got the job on Burns and Allen. I had done a couple of other things, but I don't think I needed a union card yet. Uh, uh, I think like Superman was one of the things I did. Then I'm hearing that I did Roy Rogers, and I frankly forgot that because they were such sweet people. I don't see how I could have forgotten. But anyway, I got the job on Burns and Allen because one of the associate producers in that little theater that I worked in recommended me for a role because uh, he was one of the associates on Burns and Allen. And that opened a whole new vista for me, and it got me my Screen Actors Guild card. And then when you think about Seven Brides, and, and we were practically a year on that. And when I say a year, I'm talking about a six-day-a-week year. Mm. The five-day-a-week had not come into existence yet. So yeah. we were working six days a week, and I think six to eight weeks was spent on just coming in every day and uh, rehearsing the dances. You know, all those dance yeah. sequences were, were so important to Seven Brides. And, you know, it was kind of wonderful because Michael Kidd was our choreographer. Now, Michael Kidd did Guys and Dolls. He did Can Can. He did so much. And, and, of course, he performed himself at MGM. But his choreography always had strength and power to it. You know, when you think of, of men ballet dancers, you cannot help but think, oh, in their tights and tutus, you know, and that they're of the gay persuasion. Well, that's not so. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, getting through a ballet or a, a musical comedy every night and dancing and doing takes more strength than a football game. Takes that kind of stamina. Mm. Yes. To be able to do it, and, and not just do it, but sell it. You know, that's the whole point. You've got to sell it to your audience out there. So, yeah, luck had a great deal to do with, with my uh, getting into the business. And as I write in the book, I never worked hard at getting jobs. I never said, oh, there's something coming up, or I should get my agent to get over there and look into it. Uh, that just never happened. It either either somebody saw me or recommended me, and of course the thing that I think is wrong with our industry right now is that casting directors used to have hold great sway over the business. They knew their work. They went to all the little theaters. They saw all the television shows with newcomers on it. They watched what was happening. And therefore, 
they would simply say after they knew somebody and had seen their work several times, the, if the script came along, they'd go to the director and say, do you want a blonde, a brunette, or a redhead, basically? And if it was a blonde, maybe I got the part. If it was a brunette, then, uh, you know, one of the other ladies got it. And uh, it, there, there was kind of a, a group of us that did a lot of television, not quite as much as movies, but television. And um, you'll, you'll see the same names kind of turning up there in the 60s and the 70s. And uh, nowadays, I think they hire a secretary at the lowest wage possible and hand her the book and say, go through it and see uh, who's registered that could play the role. And then they have like 30 and 40 people coming in to read one stinking line. And it's totally, totally insane. I don't know where the producers and directors have the time to spend on casting that the casting department should be doing on its own. That's a very interesting insight. Uh, you've seen this business for decades now. And when you were talking about work ethic and your family, that so resonated with me, Ruta, because it seems like you're the hardest working person in Hollywood. You have been working for decades and continued to do so. I mean, getting onto the um, the game shows, the Hollywood Squares. I mean, you did television, you did movies, and then you came back to television doing the game shows. I don't. I'm not aware that you ever took any time off. <laughs> I tried not to. Let's put it that way. Uh, work is essential, you know. I think to your well-being, and you know, I've got to tell you, Suzanne, I am so grateful eternally grateful to the producers of the game shows and the talk shows because those are the shows that introduced Ruta as herself to the American or Canadian or European whatever audiences. Yes. And not as Ruta Lee, the actress playing such and such. Uh, people got to know me as an individual, and either like or dislike me, hopefully always like me, uh, playing the games. And I, I just, to this day, am so grateful that I had those opportunities to do that. Uh, and, of course, I think the reason that I kept working, because if you stop and think about it, my darling Gary and Suzanne, and your listeners, um, there, we go through stages. Uh, I started doing television first, then movies came along. But I was kind of a, a very dominant leading lady for just about every television show that was being done at the time, whether it was a Western or a, a modern day, whatever. Then the stars of the big national movie stars who didn't deign to do television at first, because it would ruin their careers, they thought. Suddenly, movies were no longer being made the way they were with nine and ten films coming out of every studio every year, you know, or more. And so they, these stars moved on into the roles that I would normally play. So when that happened, I said, ooh, I've got to move over and do stage which I did all over the country in, in theaters and, of course, in dinner theaters, which were great fun. And that was a very interesting audience because most people that were coming to dinner theater had not really been to live theater much before, and they were used to hollering back to the television set, yeah, yeah, Ruta, go get them, you know, yeah, you smack them again. And this would come roaring out of audiences, and it uh, shocked but amused and amazed, you know, at how people would get enthralled with what you were doing and help you along verbally <laughs> in theater, at least in dinner theater they did. Of course, they had a couple of drinks in front of them, too, which helped. But uh, uh, then, of course, I have to tell you that probably one of the most lucrative five years of my life <clears throat> was on Home Shopping Network. Oh, that really? I didn't know that. When you're hitting millions of people with one hello 
and I had a great product that I really believed in and sold it with all my heart and uh, just met so many millions of people that way. And uh, I think that I did better in those five years going into Home Shopping Net Network once a month for like a week at a time. And um, they found that I was very good at what I was doing. I was a, a natural kind of salesperson if I believed in something. And so they'd often have me visit on other of their uh, uh, stars, you know, their hosts. And it was a, a very, very interesting and gratifying, uh, both emotionally and financially experience, I must say. As, as we sit here listening to all these wonderful stories, these recollections of yours, Ruta, before we close, we have a couple of minutes, there are two things I wanted to say. First of all, please say you'll come back. We would love to interview any time you have available. We would like to take up some of it in order to hear more about your wonderful life and career. It's been a pleasure getting to know you during this hour. So that's number one. And the second is I have just enough time to squeeze in my film casting fantasy. Now, you know, Ruta, how many uh, films are remakes. That's been going on for quite a while. It's, it's a longstanding trend. I thought it would be terrific back about, oh, circa 1980, if there could have been a remake, perhaps in color this time, of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And I think you, Ruta Lee, would be great in the Joan Crawford character and the Betty Davis character could have been handled with a whole new take by the wonderful, late, great Sandy Dennis, one of the great method actors. Wouldn't, have, wouldn't that have been something? Yes. Oh, what an interesting thought. When you were first saying it, I was going to say my very good friend Ruth Buzzy could have done the other role, too, <laughs> with an entirely different take. So. She's, she's a good pal of mine in Texas. And, uh, oh, my, oh, my, my, my. Uh, now I forgot what, where we were going. Oh, what a, what a great idea. And in color, what, what a fabulous idea. I watch it every time it plays. I, I, I can't get enough. Now, I have to tell you that I write somewhat in Consider Your Ass Kissed about the fabulous Betty Davis and mm -hmm. my personal experience with her. And I just thought she was so magnificent, so I want all of your listeners to do me a great big favor and run out and get the book. Either, if you're lazy, do it on, on uh, uh, Amazon.com, where, by the way, it's number two, and my, my friend Linda Hope, Bob Hope's daughter, is number one. I could learn to dislike her for that. But anyway, uh, she, it, it's available on Amazon.com or at Barnes & Noble or... Go to your local bookstore. And now listen, dear people, don't just buy one. Buy at least 300. You know, make me look good. Will you please? There and you we go. We can do that. And you do it very well thank on your you. own recognizance. Ruta Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. May I simply say thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you all. God bless America. Please keep smiling on us, Lord. Sometimes we don't deserve it, but keep smiling on America. And uh, thank you. Thank you for being my friends and caring. Okay. Amen. Have a great weekend, everyone.